Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Human Behavior Show. And as always, it's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we have a really great guest here today um, to talk about all things human behavior. Um, we have Stephen with us, who is doing some really interesting work in the space of, of behavior. He knows all the theories, but he think he, he, he's got some new ideas. And, and I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing about them as we go on in the weeks and months. But um, also kind of hearing about his expertise and what he knows. And, he, you know, he's been a professor and um, he's taught the way humans behave, taught lessons on that. And being the Human Behavior Show, we love getting people along with expertise. So super excited for this one. I titled it, Why Do We Behave the Way We Do? Because that's something I'm really interested in. What makes us tick? What makes us make decisions? And we have Stephen here to tell us about it. So first of all, hey, welcome, Stephen. Nice to have you here. Hey, Dr. So, so hey, can I call you So Hey? It's great to be here. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, I'm glad you're here. So I'm actually excited for this one because I know you're going to be doing a lot of uh, content coming up in, in the Human Behavior Club. Um, oh, yeah. So this is like a great intro to everyone. So first, Stephen, tell us, what do you do? What have you been up to? Or how did you get interested in behavior? And what have you learned? Well, I think, you know, I'm a recovering academic. So uh, <laughs> first and foremost... And I spent a lot of time, I think, as, I think as, since we're children, we want to know why uh, we tick. We want to know how we can have better relationships. You know, I was just extremely excited. I think since I was six years old, I wanted people to feel better. So I was pursuing, you know, how do you make people feel better? And, and I coached and I connected and I mentored and I volunteered in the community. And then I went into schools and played sports and was the captain. Uh, you know, this constantly pursuing this, I, I found, I went into academia to make a short story shorter um, as a way of pursuing, uh, you know, uh, human behavior theories. But going into academia, I also spent a lot of time in mental health, in jails, in communities. So I was, I had a foot grounded in practice as well, which is actually why when I went into psychology for a while, um, when I was doing my training, I, I realized I wanted to be more in the ground. So I kind of transferred more over to social work because I wanted to be have more access and more uh, more on the ground work with humans. So currently I am a, I'm a co-founder of a consulting firm. We do a lot of stuff on optimizing human potential at work and in, in life, but most of my work, Sohabe, is outside of the, the public eye. And we're getting very close. Actually, this is the very first public conversation about the core algorithm, Sohabe ever outside of my core council. That's how, that's how new this is. Like somebody the other day said, where can I read about this? Or how come I haven't heard about you? And I just stopped and said, well, how come I haven't heard about you either? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's really exciting. Uh, so thanks for having me here. Cause I, I'm so excited about uh, talking about the model, but getting back to your question, you know, how, why, you know, uh, why do we behave the way that we do? Um, I think it's important to simplify it as much as possible without oversimplifying it and trying to buy, balance, uh, you know, the simple with the complexity. So I call it like simplexity, right? So how do we make it accessible to every single human so that they can not only understand it, but take action to make their life better? Stephen, love it. Because um, I know why I was interested in behaviors because essentially I was trained as a doctor, right? Right. And then I realized, hey, Every decision we're making every day has an impact on our health. So really, behavior is the underpinning thing to our health or what we can control. That's the only thing we can control, right? right? Yeah. So nature takes its course, but behavior is very much dictated by external influences, internal influences. And 
we can change behavior. And then I looked at kind of the consumer world and I realized, hey, everything we do in life, the decisions that we make and why do we make those decisions? Some are obviously innate reasons or how we're primed biologically. But there's others where we just, you know, habits that are formed when we're younger in our childhood or how certain things are designed, how the macro environments around us are designed to make us behave certain ways. So I found that yeah. super interesting. And that's why I got into it. And it's interesting because yeah. you talk a lot about leadership and corporate and, and, you know, human potential, which is super important in terms of productivity. So please shed some more light. I'd love for you to uh, talk about that. Yeah, well, the, the thing about leadership, so there's the front-facing stuff that we do. I chose leaders. So where we focus our action research on is around leadership, but also parents, caregivers, coaches, any human being who has the responsibility to develop the well-being of other people. So, uh, you know, my research shows that um, leaders are the most important parents, uh, doctors, physicians, right, uh, are what we call the key connector. Like they are the most important relationship in a person's life. They are the most important source and force of co-regulation, and they are the most important resource, right? So they, everything like comes through relationships. So, so it's all about, you know, it's all about optimizing uh, that person's ability to build people. Right. But when you were talking about it, it's amazing when you were talking about all the different ways that we can think about it from the health, psychological. Like I, I taught human behavior theory for nine years, right, in the both in the BSW and the master's level programs. And it's like, you know, it's overwhelming all the theories that are available. Like there is over 10,000 theoretical orientations on understanding humans. Which one, <laughs> like, which one is the one that works? And, and the, the crazy thing about these models that I learned early on, I'm writing something called Confessions of a Recovering Academic, so hey, is that all, like, every human behavior theory works. Here it comes, though. With most people, to some extent, some of the time, for a little while. <laughs> right? So they all kind of work. But they also all have a tendency to get stuck. And if we're not careful the approach can actually become the problem, right? So, so that's what we, that was the big question that we set out to do with the, the core algorithm was how can we create, so, so just to clear up what it is, because for the non-academics, it is a uh, dynamic framework for optimizing human potential performance and perseverance. For the academics in the room, it's a trans-theoretical model of human behavior theory and practice. <laughs> so it kind of takes every single be human behavior theory, simplifies it, and takes the best parts to be able to apply it in almost any given situation, whether you're dealing with an eight-year-old, a CEO, a gang member. And that's what's taken so long to develop it. So, hey, is we've been on the ground trying to verify it, um, me desperately, so that we can get it out to the, to the world. Because I'm not sure if you've noticed, humanity is suffering almost everywhere you look. For sure. I'm super excited to kind of hear about... Um you know, this core concept, because I think taking the best of each theory is the way you should be doing it, right? Because that some of them fail in certain circumstances, and if you can align all of them, then I guess we're a better place to understand human behavior. And yeah, I can imagine the amount of work you must have put into this. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about this. But around just so some of the listeners understand a bit of human behavior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's go right to the core. So the so the the, the model, the core algorithm, it stands for um, a complex operation of relational entanglement. Now, that's the hardest part of the algorithm is just understanding the acronym. After that, it's easy. And it comes down to 
all human beings, we, there's these things called the core essentials. Now, I won't use the exact words because I, I want them to come out of the, the Human Behavior Club with my core counsel there. Um, but what, and I'll tell you who the core counsel is in just a minute, but the, it comes down to humans from the very beginning. We, we basically, all of our human behavior is driving towards one of two things. It's, it's we're either trying to survive or we're trying to find meaning. And survival is at the left part of the continuum and finding meaning is at the far right. And our, our behavior is dictated by each end and everything in between. But what's important is to be able to survive or to thrive, we need three things. We need connection, we need clear direction, and we need a sense of protection, which is a sense of control and a sense of confidence, right? When those three things are accommodated, we are doing very, very well as human beings. And that's, that's what the algorithm is about. It's how do we understand when we're doing really well and when we're not, right? And, and how do we start from where the person is at to kind of assess where are they struggling? Is it in the area of relationships? Is it in the area of individual regulation or co-regulation? Is it in the area of access to internal or external resources? Right, so there's actually 13 parts of the algorithm where you can enter at any part depending on where the person's at, but it all comes back down to those core essentials, right? I'm not sure if that's helpful <laughs> or confusing. So, hey, no, that's super, super. Um, I would agree with that. I think, as you mentioned, I started thinking about my own life. You said control, and I was like, yeah, a lot of behavior. Like, <laughs> I understand when you're not in control, when you're in control, how that feels like. Yeah. Same with connectedness. I yeah. definitely, um, definitely could relate there as well. I was thinking of why, in certain circumstances, I behave the way I do, and, and those, those, um, I guess. Um, those three central themes are definitely um, ones that I can see applying practically already. So obviously, obviously you're going to be revealing a lot of this on the human behavior club and and upcoming um, shows and stuff with your council. Please tell us about the council as well. Yeah. So, okay. The core council um, is because I, I'm a recovering, I didn't finish my PhD and that's surprising to a lot of people. And that's why one of the reasons why I call myself a recovering academic is I became very disillusioned with what was happening. Uh, in terms of the limitations and, and, and some of those things, um, the lack of results that we we're getting. So I kind of got out of academia because I was becoming disillusioned with some of the things that were we were actually perpetuating in academia. So I went on the road and I, I tried to, now a lot of my academics didn't like that, you know, they um, because there's a lot of protectionism for models, right? Certain models, you know, cognitive behaviors will protect their model, experientialists, the narratives, you know, and there wasn't, you know, when I started this about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, um, and then throughout the journey, a lot of people weren't open to looking at their own approach critically, especially if it was part of their business or part of their livelihood. That's just, just you know, or, or they put, you know, 11 plus years into it, right? So, so I had to find people, Sohaib, that had the same values as I did and were willing to question everything, but put it into practice. So I started reaching out to Nobel Prize winners. So my first, you know, my first um, uh, connection and collaboration was with a Nobel Prize winner. I saved some of the names until we released this because they're also very private and they live private lives. But I started to reach out to people that had experience in human behavior. But then we started to go, how do we find out about the things that we can explain? Like quantum physics can explain things better than psychology in some areas and spirituality and, and physics and architecture and right? Compression theory. So, so I, I went out and I got about 25 people. It's now down to the core co- councils eight and we have a F-35 pilot, 
an architect, a psychiatrist, a neuropsychiatrist, a psychologist, a physicist, a quantum physicist, and a couple of other people. Some of them have um, high accolades in terms of being the best at what they do in the world. And I, I went out and got them for two reasons. One is to support the work that we're doing to verify this thing. And the other one, to be honest, so hey, I'm a guy with a master's degree and a couple of other degrees. And when I show up with, with the idea that I've got a model that will transform the way we understand, A, nobody believes me. Um, so then I just call on one of my core council people and say, hey, can you call this person and let them know I'm not crazy? <laughs> and then they usually call them and they go, okay, all right. Because a lot of people go, Steve, are you taking your medication? Because this sounds absolutely crazy, what you're saying, right? But I have a track record in results. So, hey, but like I, I have references in jails. I have references in psychiatric units. I have references in some of the biggest companies in the world. I have references, um, you know, from tons of people in different, very difficult situations that were able to witness this um, because it's so hard to believe. You have to actually experience it because it really seems unbelievable, right? So I'm not sure if that was helpful, my friend, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that was very well um, explained. And um, from that, it makes me think, so you say you have these examples as well. Um, mm-hmm. How, so have you worked with people and been able to change their behavior or even with organizations and being able to change the behavior of an organization? Yes, absolutely. So, so thank you. Very, great question. I think the biggest thing that we're all chasing is sustainability, right? Because everything works. Like every, you know, most trainings, people leave, they feel good. Uh, most, uh, you know, systems, process kind of interventions, people stuff works, but it doesn't work for long. And I think, so what we've been doing, sustainability is what we've been trying to demonstrate. And just recently in the belly of the beast, this is going to be made public as well. We thought, you know, what can we demonstrate that would just kind of get people's attention? And we just released a case study in my province uh, on a hospital in the middle of the pandemic to improve patient safety, patient flow, um, lower grievances, like all the numbers that were hard to get before the pandemic, we actually uh, exceeded during the most difficult time. So, and now we're sustaining it. So we're starting to put some of this action research into practice and start doing some case studies around it. Another program uh, in northern Canada that had very low turnover and very um, like I mean high high turnover, low retention, high conflict, trouble with the union. We intervened, and within I think an eighteen month period, we've seen an increase. So we didn't just stabilize the turnover; we actually increased um, retention by ten percent, seven points in the net application scale. Right. So these kinds of things we're starting to see, and what's behind it all is using the principles of the core algorithm, right? Like how do we how do we operationalize this? How do we go into an organization? I'll give you three three of the dimensions right away. So three of the big ones we work with, Sohaib, are what, what I call safe, significant, and situated. Right. So just going back to the core essentials, well how do you how do you meet people's core essentials? Well you create environments and relationships where they feel safe, physically, emotionally, mentally safe. Then you move into significant where they feel valued, valuable, worthwhile, have a strong sense of belonging, and that they're situated, that things are predictable, anticipated, clear as possible. So when you go into an environment and you teach the leaders to create these three great states in their relationships and on their teams, then the potential that is there, that God-gifted potential, starts to reveal itself, right? So that's one of the things that we do as well. That's actually super interesting, and I can definitely imagine a lot of leaders benefiting from that because they're not aware of it right 
Yeah. So, yeah. I ask this question a lot, and I want to throw it in here as well. So, what is your thoughts on remote work and behavior, and organizational behavior in that respect? Yeah. Well, organizational behavior is just <laughs> individual behavior in large groups, right? So it's it's interesting because it's just a group of organisms uh, all you know kind of uh, behaving in a certain way. But remote work is an interesting thing because I think you know you have all these surveys coming out. You know, where do people want to work? That doesn't tell you the meaning in why they want to work somewhere, right? So I think I think we're kind of looking at this, what, you know, this great resignation or this remote work situation is, like humans move to meaning and they're moved by meaning, right? Lots of people work in places for lower wage if it's meaningful. Like, you know, is it about the family? Is it about the, the opportunity? So what do we know about the experience of the people in the organizations about remote work? I think that's a starting point. See, the problem I have with research is that we, there's all these research. This is what Google does. This is what so-and-so does. This is what they did. That has nothing to do with my organization. The experiences of other, that's why we don't benchmark in our measurements. Like we have core leader scores. We have a meaning score. And people are like, how does this compare to the organizations down the road? It's like, what difference would that make? What if they like are bottom of the pack or top of the pack? It does nothing for the bearing of how you can get better in your area. So the starting point around that hybrid and remote work uh, so I'd say, you know, we've got to connect with the experiences of our people first. What do our people say they need um, post-pandemic? What do they say is most important to them? What are they saying that they hope for and they want from their work? And where, here's a big thing is, that's missing, is where are we already succeeding? Right? Where are we already doing well? Right? Where, when have we worked geographic, geographically dispersed or uh, in a disconnected way for all and actually succeeded? And I think when organizations tune in to the experiences of their people, they actually, without interpreting it, because sometimes that happens, right? Uh, you get the results back and then the executive team sits around the table and they interpret all the information and puts us in a different place. But I think that's a big piece of it is what is the experience of the people, right? How can we make work, whether it's in the same space or in a geographically dispersed area, the most meaningful for the people that we've hired and asked to work with us? So it's very conditional on, on the organization. I think that makes a lot of sense because you hear so many studies, one saying one thing, another thing, another thing, like literally every week there's a, <laughs> the office. I mean, recently uh, Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> came out with, he works remotely, but he was saying how we need social connection in the office. And a lot of people were refuting that saying he's probably been paid to say that. <laughs> But well, I, think, yeah, I, like I saw it. that light up, right? It's like you get this guy that's hardly social at all saying it's important to be social, right? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, what what the heck, you know? And you're absolutely right. I mean, but it the research, do we need any more? So, hey, like, that's it. Like, more papers, more studies, the great resignation. Here's, here's, here's the big mic drop moment I wake up with every day as a recovering academic. We know more about humans than ever, quote, unquote, right? Is, and we're doing worse than ever, right? So there isn't, they're trending in the wrong direction, right? We, we, the no, more that we know, like long-term, short-term disability, suicide, addiction, anxiety, depression, like we got to put on the brakes and go, do we need any more papers or do we need to stop and find out what's working? What do we really know about this? Because here's the problem. One of my, the things that keeps me up at night, Sohaib, is what's worse than being totally wrong about something? Well, it's being, at, being just a little bit off on everything. <laughs> that to me is terrifying, right? And I think that's where we are with a lot of our human behavior theories and our models is they're telling us part truths and they're telling us pieces. So in moments it feels like, yeah, this is it. But then we get stuck 
and we don't we don't have a means or a way of of turning around or moving through it because of the limitation of that particular model or that particular theory. And the the big problem with that is that when people go from therapist to therapist or consultant to consultant, what we actually end up doing is well the experts can't be wrong, there must be something wrong with us and we actually right curtail or impede the potential of people to to feel good about what they're doing. So they start to blame themselves. Right? And that's not a good place to be. Yeah, that can be quite dangerous, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And you're trying to seek confirmation. I know a lot of people, I've, I've been there as well. Um, you want to find out about something, but you keep going to people until you find someone who agrees with what your subconscious is telling you. And then you're yeah. like, that's right. right. We have that implicit bias, uh, oh, yeah. seeking information behavior. Um so, Stephen, so obviously this new concept that you've been working on for a while, combining yeah. some of these theories, and um, obviously we want, we want to reveal that in the, in the Clubhouse shows, but you've kind of given a bit of a, a hallmark of some of these, um, some of, of, of where you're going with it. Um, yeah. So, with that, I want to kind of know, for startups, you talk about large organizations, do you think yeah. behavior in startups, so, uh, so there's a big story this week, Adam Newman. Mm-hmm. He is, his behavior was looked um, down upon by a lot of people, but he raised a lot of money. And now he's been given more money by A16Z, the VC group, right? Yeah. And yep. a lot of people are like, hey, we're rewarding bad behavior. A, what is your take on that if you have one? Otherwise, B, do you think it's important to align behavior early on in the company when it's in startup phase? Absolutely. As a, yeah, so, so yes and maybe and no to all of that. But <laughs> we, are, we are unfortunately rewarding bad behavior all the time. Right. We we reward likes, we reward success, we reward, you know, um, however, one of the things I do uh, believe in is that we do need to align startups with the values uh, as soon as possible. Right. And it's funny. Next uh, in a couple of weeks, one day, this is how the core algorithm works. One day I'm working with homelessness group, supervisors and homelessness. And then the very next day I'm flying somewhere in North America to work with 12 startups, <laughs> right? So you want to talk about different ends of the continuum, but, it, but the human behavior piece is the same. And I think what startups will have an advantage to is that if they can, what I call align, like build a compass, right? So if you think about humans, we have core four, we have needs, values, goals, and strengths, right? That, that's what gives us meaning. Imagine if compasses set their, like companies set their compass, their vision, mission, values, and strategy in a way that connected with the humans that came through their gate, right? And I, and I don't think that that's difficult. Part of our research is showing that, right? Um, if you can early on, because we work with some companies that are really big and they want to they wanna pivot and change the values and the mission and vision, and it's really, really difficult because the culture has been so reified by this point, it's difficult to change it. You almost have to break it. But with startups, if they're thinking about this out of the gate and they want to become what I call human-centered visionaries, then they've got to embed the values because values guide behavior, right? That's, you know, we, most discipline issues, Soheb, are not competency issues, if you think about it. They're issues where people choose to do one thing over another thing, choose not to follow up with the client, choose not to f- fill out the strengths piece, you know, so, so their choices based on values. And if they had governing values that were reinforced and supported, we would have less trouble. We would have more optimized performance, more optimized perseverance. So, yes. I love that. <laughs> I actually love that. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And the cool, so the cool yep. thing is we can demonstrate this now, right? So, so when people say, oh, yeah, that in theory, because 100 people wouldn't disagree with me. So, hey, 
Like right now, if you and I got a hundred people off the street, they'd say, yeah, values are important. Yeah, the vision and mission are important. Yet we go into these areas and they're not doing it because we haven't found the way and we believe we have finally constructed the way. And I'm so excited to share this. And by the way, I will share the core algorithm in the Human Behavior Club, my friend. I will. I'm going to. So I wanted you to know that. I'm honored. I'm honored that your you, your work will be shared there. Um a club named human behavior. So guys, if anyone listening here wants to actually um, hear about the whole algorithm, do follow the human behavior club and Steven as yes. well as the leader of the club. And in, in forthcoming weeks and months, you'll be finding out all about it with um, his team and, and the rest of the people involved. So it's going to be super exciting. So I'm super excited about that actually. And Steven, um, so for me, I think I'm also very interested in yes, behavior, but when can when, when can we start? When do these tools start becoming manipulation tactics? Right, oh, I've had a great lot of question. People, yeah. Like nego- hostage negotiators, etc. Very interesting people. Chris Voss presenting human behavior call. Super interesting on what stuff he has to bring. Uh, yeah. where, where do you stand on that? Well, I I I haven't met Chris Voss yet. I I know people that work with him. Uh, I I okay. So I'll, I'll leave my criticisms for uh, negotiation uh, for another time. However. You're absolutely right. There is a fine line because I, I, I can influence gang members, CEOs, all this stuff. I'm just writing about it, about uh, out of control teenagers, CEOs and addicts and what's the same and what's different. But this idea of influence and, and, and manipulation, there's one differentiator, my friend. And here it comes. The differentiator is, is manipulation is when I'm trying to get you to do something that is not at all good for you. It's just good for me or good for someone else. Influence is you're still trying to get you to do something to shape your behavior, to make a change. And there is clearly something good in it for you based on your own core four or based on what's meaningful for you. And sometimes that line gets really thin. But just because somebody in one minute, I have an exercise called cross the line. It's one of my favorite exercises in the world where you actually have people say no to crossing the line. And after a quick interview with me and their team, you get 90% of them to actually cross the line easily. And people are freaked out like, oh my God, you just manipulated them. You know, but what it is, is we found the meaning in what they needed to cross the line. So to get the kind of behavior change. So the differentiation is when it's not about them at all, and it's only about us, that is pure manipulation. And, and sometimes we hide that. But when it's about them and there's going to be a benefit to their growth, to their development, to their resilience, then it's, uh, it's influence, pure and simple. Love it. Very eloquently put. And as we wrap up this podcast, I think it's been super interesting. Set up very nicely for the upcoming shows that you have coming. Um, we live in a technologically governed world. And we know comp- well, there's a Netflix documentary as well on how tech companies have looked at behavior, human behavior, and they've used behavioral scientists and they've used data scientists and they've used <laughs> yeah. testing. To work out <laughs> what would we click on, why we click stickiness. on, how can we click on things stickiness. more, stickiness, yeah. exactly, apps. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to kind of hear from you how important you think data is in learning about human behavior um, it, and the insights it, we can get from there. And then B, with, with the age of social media influence and influences, um, yeah. do you feel influences actually influence our behavior? Are we sub now consciously what we see on places like TikTok and Instagram, are we modeling those behaviors? Well, <laughs> you ask great questions and lots all at the same time. Let me, let me be really succinct. So that whole stickiness thing, 
you know, and the use of manipulation, because let's be honest, most ad agencies and, and some of the media places, they try to get people to buy things that they don't need. I'm just going to be honest about that, right? Um, is data important? Absolutely, it's important, but it's only one aspect. Data is information. It's not meaning. And I think where, you know, you big data, big data, no, big meaning. What does what is the meaning within the data? And what we do is we differentiate between me, information and meaning because data is one thing. But if you're interpreting the data to bend it or flex it to the way that you need it, it's really not data. It's something else. Right. So so I think that's really important. But but accurate, clear understanding of what's motivating humans is absolutely essential, especially in um, organizations nowadays and especially in the health system nowadays. The last piece about social media. Uh, this is, it's just terrible. It is not only, as, as Tim Pitchell says, the procrastination superhighway, but the kind of the messages that are coming out there around perfectionism and, you know, how people look. And it's just, it is not a real aspect of, of, of it's not real. So we're looking at these images and these um, ideals, things that are hard to uh, aspire to. Um, and don't even get me started on how young children shouldn't even be on, on social media, but it's a, it's a something that we really got to tackle as a community and just, just come back and say, are these things helpful for us or are they hurt, hurtful? And if the answer is yes, they're helpful, let's keep going. If to hurtful is maybe or no, we better stop, put on the brakes and assess how is this really, really helping us as humans. Steven, you more than adequately answered uh, my questions. That's a great <laughs> A great way to end, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing some of your expertise over the years, yeah. what you've learned about human behavior and also an insight into this core concept you've been developing yeah. hard. And I'm looking forward to actually hearing more about it. So before we let you go, first of all, guys, this podcast will be available straight away on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So do give a listen. Um, please subscribe and also um uh, give us a rating if you, if you if you liked what you heard. Keep getting great guests on, like Stephen, on the podcast. We try and keep them succinct uh, around that thirty minute mark. And um, this was a super interesting and fun one, somewhere and one where I've been looking forward to because it is a human behavior club. So yeah. I know we talk a lot about tech and we talk a lot about um, health, and but centrally, I do want to concentrate on psychology and human behavior. Uh, and yeah. Stephen's given us that today. So Stephen, and where can people follow you? Where can they uh, um, yeah, in the find you as well, your company? Yeah, I'm hard to, I'm easy to find, hard to find. So the stuff that we just talked about isn't, isn't really available yet. Uh, so Clubhouse, I hang out in there. I'm going to be hanging out with you more often in the Human Behavior Club. But right now, Brivia, so briviaconsulting.com is, is where you can learn a little bit more about my company and what we're doing. We're trying to figure out, as you can, you can hear how big this is, Sohabe, right? And we're trying to get everything organized because when we share... Uh, I think, as I said in a message, I can feel the cool breeze of the tsunami that's on its way, right? It's just, <laughs> I can just feel the droplets. Um, so briviaconsulting.com is where you can find me and most of our work. And I'm going to share a lot of this in the Human Behavior Club uh, in the next uh, in the next couple of months um, in Clubhouse. So thank you very much. And uh, so, Abe, hey, thanks for trusting me with this. So much fun to hang out with you. Anything I can do to help and improve <laughs> humanity, I'm in, man. I'm in. Oh, thanks. No, no, really nice to connect with you. I like connecting with genuinely really nice people who are experts. And I'm glad we bumped into each other. A long time coming, but I'm glad I'm glad we had that conversation and your content's going to literally elevate uh, the human behavior entity. Um, yeah. And one of my missions was also like, how can we add knowledge to the world? And you're going to help me do that, buddy. So thanks yeah. so much for coming on the podcast. And let's make, let's make the upcoming months super interesting with this core concept that you have.
Yeah, you got it. Better results, to, man. Better results. Yeah, look forward to learning from you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I from you. I mean, this is it. I just want to say the algorithm, one of the f- fundamental beliefs is that our greatness, our human potential can only be activated and released in relationships. So it is, you know, that it is through your questions and our connection and trust in each other that will elevate our ability to just let uh, release what we've got. <laughs> I love that you said relationships because... I was interested in health and that led me to behavior uh, and uh, I was into technology and led me to behavior and then behavior led me to relationships and then relationships led me back to health and tech because we're forming <laughs> a lot of our relationships through technology these days yeah. online. Like a lot of people haven't met on clubhouse. I've not met in real life. And then also health. Uh, one of the five pillars I talk about nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, relationships is so important for yeah. our health. And our behavior yeah. is where we dictate, our relationships dictate our, how we behave in relationships. It's yes. a big hallmark of how we are as humans. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Dude, and the algorithm, it, does, it says it. Relationships. I mean, relationships literally all links in, and that's what my it startup, does. Amelie, was a relation, relationship app. And I was like, okay, this links a lot to what I do, interestingly. And I never yeah. thought I'd be doing it. Yeah. But Stephen. And, and, uh, yeah, and final thing, yeah. I'm jumping off this call to jump to talk to a CMO in our country oh, about nice. ph- physician well-being. And oh, wow. Talk help about doctors regulation. Yeah, they yeah, definitely yeah. need it. Doctors need it right now. <laughs> so, Steve, it's been a pleasure. I'm not going to hold you. Um, right. Guys, this has been awesome. And I will catch you guys in the next show. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you.